Welcome into episode two of the House of L. This week's guest is Jason Goff. Jason used to be a host at The Score, Sports Radio 670. He's also worked for NBA Radio XM Sirius. He's also recently worked for WFNZ in Charlotte doing a show with Chris Kroger, who will be mentioned later on in this part of the episode. A lot of fans of the score are curious on what Jason's thoughts are about leaving the station, which happened back in March of 2018, and what Jason's up to now. So Jason actually becomes the first guest on the podcast has actually made it to the house, the actual house of L. He came in and sat down and we had um, a lengthy and emotional conversation about his career. The conversation was so long that I wanted to make sure that everyone got a chance to enjoy it on a commute. So we broke it down into two parts. Part two has more to do with him leaving the station in the aftermath. Part one is more about the good stuff that happened at the radio station and how he progressed to a point where he was the host of Afternoon Drive at the score. He also spent a lot of time in this part of the episode discussing his relationship with Matt Spiegel and how important the Spiegel and golf show was to him. So settle in. It's a good conversation. Here's me and Jason Goff, episode two, part one. Wherever you want to go with it, I'm cool. Okay. Trust me. There's nothing you... Wherever. All right, so I wanted to start with something kind of fun. All right. What would you do if you weren't doing this for a living? What would I do if I weren't doing this for a living? I have no clue. Um, I've uh, always kind of been like a plan A kind of guy, sometimes to my detriment. But, hmm, what would I be doing if I wasn't doing this legally? Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I got no time for botany school and all that. Other uh, what would I be doing? I, I do not know, Lawrence. Um, I know when I was a kid, uh, I took an AutoCAD class for my, my dad because my dad is, you know, a mechanical engineer and guy who worked around that kind of industry for a long time and i took that class from my father because i want to be showing him like hey i could do this and i got a d oh. and he was like if you're not interested in this why would you do it and that moment and kind of thinking about it now because i haven't really ever talked about it but that moment i kind of, that was kind of my mantra from freshman year in high school when i was 14 years old knowing three years before that what i wanted to do that was kind of my mantra from there on. If if you don't want to do it, then why do it? Um, because you're not going to put your all into it, and the bad days are going to be horrible days, and the great days are going to be gr the greatest days. So I don't I don't want to, you know I I didn't get into this game the orthodox way or the the the, the customary way as it is. So I. I Man, I gotta think about it. Maybe I maybe I have an answer for you at the end of the podcast, but I I do not I don't know. I don't know because it's always been this has always been what I wanted to do. 
Um, this has always kind of been my therapy. This has always been the way that I, you know, connected with people. I, I blossomed in when I was a kid through this, but I didn't blossom socially or, or relationship wise until I was older. Like I felt like I was a more complete individual through sharing stories and connecting and listening to radio and understanding radio and trying to be, um, trying to be the best connector that I could be as a kid because of this. So it's kind of like, you know, people say asking athletes or anything like, what did you, what did you think you were going to do? And then they tell you, oh, I always going to knew, I always knew that I was going to be this. I didn't always know I was going to be this. I just thought that this was all I wanted to be. So I kind of just kind of just bear down and tried to figure it out. Which is probably why I didn't, you know, quit when there was times when other people may have quit, you know, where, you know, doing overnight production and things like that, where it's like, this is never going to amount to anything. So what am I doing here? Um, But it was always this is this is what I felt I had a gift for. And this is kind of kind of the route that life has taken me. But I, I made sure that I stayed on those tracks, though. Tell me if my, my ranking on this is fair. In the history of sound guys at the score, okay, I have... The one thing I've stayed away from, by the way, the one conversation that I've stayed away from since I've been in this business and since I became a full-time, full-time sound guy, the one conversation I've stayed away from. I have Chris Tannehill, number one. Yeah. I have you, number two. <laughs> I have Spiegel, number three. Um, I, right now, like some of the young guys are really good. Like I think Shane's really good. Um, I don't know if I put him ahead of myself, but he's somewhere (laughs) around there. But, but your, your ability, not just to, when you were running a board, I always thought, man, this is some next level stuff that, that you took a lot of pride in that. How did you learn? how to make a show sound the way that you wanted it to sound. You get hosts who want to hear a certain thing or want their show to sound like a certain thing, which is cool. And then sometimes you get hosts who you know what they like, so you're going to infuse the show with that, but you also want to open the audience up to something else as well. Um, I think it's just different in terms of what your host wants and how you were brought up. Like I've... You know, if and this is if authority was questionable, I I questioned it in my days as a sound guy. And I remember there was a time like there's there's a couple of things that I I feel like I'm responsible for. Uh, You know, there's there was a time where the higher ups only wanted you to play classic rock. And I was like, well, I mean. If the listeners keep texting and calling and and jumping on Facebook and all these other stuff like, hey, what what beat was that or what are you doing there? Or the sound drops became a little bit more diverse, you know, and you didn't even have to explain to your host like why people were laughing. They just knew that there was a connection there that hadn't been explored before that. You know, you and Jonathan, um, I'd listen to the way you guys directed a show and... I always hated having to explain the connection. 
You know, I always hated when people had to say, ah, I see what you did there because you came back with this. It's like, no, if three people caught it, you just gave those three people a tiny bit of joy that's probably going to make them stay or come back or say, hey, I, you know, if they catch you in the streets, like, hey, I know what you was doing there. You wild as hell for that. And it was always kind of that feeling with you two when I would listen. So I just took that those things infused it with some some movies that i knew that people hadn't seen you know some some cult classics and also opened up myself to whatever the suggestions may be as well because you know every every show whether it's a a four-person show or a five-person show with you know three producers every show should have the, the the fabric and the texture of each person on that show and then you get a diverse enough mix that you're hitting every area Hopefully, if you if you have a diverse show, you get a diverse enough mix that you're hitting every area and not just the ones people are comfortable with because you find that people people do want to learn more or people like the want to be cool is in everybody. So if you can drop something on someone on a sports radio show and it just becomes a part of you know the earworm all of a sudden happens and then they hear it outside of that circumstance and they're like yo i know this song and then maybe that sparks a conversation or i know this cut or there's been times i remember hearing jive talking uh when i was working at frank's nursery and craft when i was 16 years old i had never heard the song outside of of who you crapping the the who you crapping open uh, that, that Dan and, and Terry used to do. And I'm in the middle of my shift and I bust out singing the song. And my boss at the time, who I did not get along with in the least, I'm 16, he's like 55, 60 years old, he's an old, angry old man. And I'm singing it, I'm just singing Jive Talking. And he's like, oh, he's going, you, you know this song? I'm like, Psh, I'm heavy in the game with Jive Talking. What are you talking about? The Bee Gees. And those kind of interactions, I feel like, you know, bind us all. So, Long, long story longer. I I don't know where I would rank myself. Um, you know, I was able to host with guys who understood uh, that I had something to bring too. You know, Terry saying to me, "Hey, you know, jump in. You got you got something to say." Like I knew that was a a gift. That was a blessing. So. You know, some guys aren't comf comfortable with that part of it either. One of the things I try to tell the, the, the youngins is we can play over mistakes. Like if, if you make a mistake, and especially an aggressive one, like something fun or funny, like I've got, I've got no problem with people playing their part as far as sound goes. It, I, it's the one thing I really liked about Murph is that he understood sound. The problem was, is that whenever you asked him to update said sound, he was very uncomfortable with, with, with that. And I, I thought that your ability to have a voice, and it's interesting because I think Tanny, Tanny's voice is not his voice. Tanny's voice is the, the sound that he was using, whether it was on the, 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 the Bernstein and Golf Show or Boars and Bernstein before that. Coming up, I interned for McNeil, so you know that wasn't easy because it wasn't supposed to be easy. He he was 
he made sure that this is the way he wanted something and this is the way it was going to be done. And if you didn't do it right, you just wasted a lot of your time. That was back in the, you know, the, the real to real grease pen days where it wasn't digital. You couldn't just go back and, and, and hit a controls, you know, F or whatever the hell it is on the keyboard and get back all the work that you started from. You had to take it back to the reels and make sure that you, you know, the, there was no upcuts. You know, you had to make sure that your out cues were exactly what they needed to be. There couldn't be space after an out cue. I mean, those are the things that I'm glad I came up in. I know I sound like an old head right now, but those are the. I'm glad I came up in that time because I appreciated the um, the end product. You know, even if it was 90 seconds, minute and 15 seconds, if it hit the mark for someone that you respected, then you felt like mission accomplished today. Now you're only as good as your last one, so you got to make sure the next two or three are the same you know the uniformity of and the consistency uh, of the quality of your work and i think you know coming into it you got to have a certain work ethic and then you have to be able to execute like working hard and not executing just means you're, you're doing the wrong things over and over again but you're you're staying at it like i i had to make sure that i was executing but also um not slipping you know making sure that things were as tight as they needed to be and you know bringing the 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 monday after the bears games opens and doing the, the the devin during the devin hester time and you know it was an exciting time so you had to make sure that you matched that level of excitement you know you you had to capture what it is that was that that took place that weekend or capture what it is that took place in the show yesterday and capture the moment so that you don't sell it short or you don't overwhelm it and just say, this is the greatest thing ever. And then it was like, oh, it was a mundane moment. Treat it like a mundane moment. Make fun of it that way. So I think being, I think every really good host um, can benefit from doing other jobs and hosting. And I, um, I'm glad that I was a sound guy. I mean, executive producers are cool because somebody has to steer the show. But being that involved in what came through the speakers and understanding what connection needed to be made or struck in that moment. I think that's important. How valuable was your time going out in the field and covering stuff? All right. So people, people like me, things are starting to bubble a little bit, but why am I not hosting as much? And <laughs> Drew Hayes, um, <laughs> Drew Hayes, asked me why the hell do i care what a producer has to say and i was like all right cool like, i'm not gonna curse or go crazy i mean this is this is what it is like you, there's there's been few obstacles put in front of me that i i felt like i couldn't uh get over or or get through so i'm like all right bet and i'll never forget we were at um we were in bourbonnet at Vito's. we're all hanging out drinking having a good time and i just was like you know what, when we get back home, I'm just going to start covering the Bulls games. At this point, I mean, I started going up to the Birdo Center in like 01. You know, I'm, I met Tracy McGrady and those guys at the airport when Benny the Bull and, the, and all the Bulls people were at the wrong gate uh, walking up the steps and through the and up the escalator with, with Tracy and B.J. Armstrong. So, I, I, you know, I had gone out and covered certain things, and I had asked Ron Gleason and Mike Alsmore, hey, you know, if you need somebody, I'll go out there because it, it'll be a lot more fun than not going out there. Um, but covering things – 
and and wanting to cover things. Hell, I told Tony, one of the last things I told Tony Gill before I left the station was, um, you know, get your own content, you know, get yourself a credential, go out there and get something that other people don't have. And the reason why other people don't have is because nobody's you. Nobody's going to ask the questions that you really want to ask. You may ask some some questions that are just standard questions, but after you break free of that, then you start to get the stuff that nobody else has. So I realized that that was that was what was necessary, and that was, that's that was the next part of my my journey was to all right. This is why you say that I'm not getting as many shifts as I could or should. Cool, you know I'm, I'm going to show you that I'm not just a producer instead of bitching or letting people know when I'm going to leave and all that other crap. No, I I got you. And Derrick Rose was drafted number one overall. Um, after that, just started going to every home game. After uh, after the show, you know, I go get my tape, ask questions, build relationships, and as you know, for years of doing it, all of it is just waiting for the moment, waiting for something to happen. You know, there'll be two, three weeks when nothing happens, but then when something happens, you're there and you've established those relationships. You've You've dug in and you've made people recognize that, you know, you're not just going to be here on a Tuesday because the Cavs are in town or because the Heat are in town because the Lakers are in town. So it was it was definitely important. Um, hell, I, I took days off um, to go cover teams. You know, when I went to Denver, when I went to Phoenix, uh, hell, when I went to when Jay got killed in New Orleans in the Superdome, when he got kicked in the chest and, you know, Got sacked like eight times, something like that. Yeah, I'll sit right here. Yeah, yeah, I took the day. I, I know. You know what it is. I uh, I took the day. Yeah, this is crazy. Yeah. Not knowing where to go. Like, all right, these are the bowels of the stadium. I've never been in the stadium before. Only I actually had, but it was for the Final Four, so it was a different setup. But, you know, doing as much as I possibly could, um, showing people that I was as versatile as as I needed to be. You know, covering fights uh, for HBO, you know, HBO, oh, that was the lick, man. Those are the days, man. Uh, Winky Wright, Sugar Shane Mosley, his first fight I covered, they put me in the wrong room. They put me in a room with a fountain in it. And I was like, yo. <laughs> like, that was that was as as awesome an experience. I'm 20, what was that, 02, 03? Somebody will be able to correct it, but I'm early 20s. I'm, you know, in the business now for like two years, but really, really get my foot in the door. And I get that. And you know me, I was like, all right, this is, this has to be exploited. <laughs> Someone has to see this. <laughs> you ain't got no money, but go downstairs and hang out and be around the fight. Uh, the, the, the fight night atmosphere. Uh, needless to say, I didn't see that fight that night. What, what do you think is the biggest lesson that you learned as a reporter um a lot of people are scared and scared money don't make money you know and those i'm sure those principles apply and many other things but anybody can ask the standard question or the question that makes the room feel good and sometimes you have to 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 set the tone but if you got if you've got a relationship with people that that are covering a team with you then there's there's looks that you give like yo all right this is this is foolishness now like it's time to it's time to stop wasting everybody's time um and especially during some bulls years uh they knew 
that there was only going to be five or six questions answered during that post game where the camera's on and then you go back to the desk. And once I got that rhythm down, I was like, no, 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 no. Before we, uh, before you guys send it back to whoever's back at the desk, let's ask these questions. Just not fearing things. Uh, because in the end, like I try to, I, I try to understand the psyche of some people where your listeners, your audience just wants the truth. They don't need a shock jock. They don't need anybody who's playing radio, but they just want, you know, keep the same energy, the same things that you were saying on the air. Hey, you're there now. I mean, yeah, Lou Aldang and I didn't talk for a, a season because I had made my observations of how things were being carried during the Ben Gordon hired, you know, Kirk Heinrich, Lou Aldang era when it was time for people to get paid. You know, and who was asked, answering questions at the end of, you know, bad games or tough streaks or tough runs and who was who was hiding. And once you know that athletes respect you more if you keep that same energy, even if they're upset with you, is it, the job becomes a lot easier. So, yeah, you establish relationships. You know, you don't just kick in the door like, all right, I'm Mr. I missed their ask a question. <laughs> you don't know me and you don't need to know me. Shut up. <laughs> but you establish those relationships. You let people know that you're you're here to work. And then you, you do the work. It's a lot easier than people make it out to be. I thought it was going to be um, thought it was gonna be a lot tougher. Now, of course, people who cover a team where they're traveling day in, day out may have to have a different relationship. But I've never understood that either because it should be easier. You should know my mannerisms. I should know when you're having a bad day. I should know when it's like, all right, you know what? That part might not make it because you 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 bugging. I'm gonna see you tomorrow anyway, and then we'll we'll get we'll get back on track here because I have a job to do just like you do, and you like it when I'm honest when you're good. So when you're bad, you should be able to take that as well. And, you know, it's just some of those things, and then you infuse that with, you know, the kind of ass that I am naturally. <laughs> but no, it was it was. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. And plus, I had a lot of good shepherds. I mean, you know, Casey Johnson, Sam Smith, um, David Schuster. These are guys who've been around that team for a long, long time, man. And, you know, guys who weren't scared to let you know, like, hey, like, this is this is how you should move. And national guys, too. You know, uh, Michael Lee, uh, Jay Michael from Boston. Um, you know, Ad Gray when he was here. Um, and a bunch of local guys who just did the gig every day without fanfare, but asked the questions that needed to be asked and understood. You know, I'm I'm extremely happy for my man Chris Kason, who uh, who uh, is now with uh, GQ and is doing a lot of the dietary stuff that you see in GQ with Kevin Love and DeAndre Hopkins, Nick Young. Like he's that dude was with the Examiner and was just he was grinding. You know, your, your work might not be understood or appreciated by everybody, but he was there every night. He was at practice, you know, uh, BC. This is a bunch of guys who on that beat, you know, like I was, I, I almost felt bad at times because I was just there for the games because, you know, I, I had my day job, yes. you know. But those guys, you know, and now to Vincent and, of course, Cowley, my man, I mean, the, the there's a bunch of there's a bunch of people in this city who, especially on that beat, who won't let it slide or will be fair when they have to, and that's the that's the balance that you have to strike. So, reporting is a tough job, 
but you make it easier just by being yourself. You're a guy that never looks uncomfortable. You know, you're you're a guy. I mean, you're you're. I mean, you you give off a sense of cool. Have you been uncomfortable when you were reporting or like first reporting, and how did you get over that discomfort? I have a lot of anxiety and a lot of nervous energy, and what I do with it is, I. Like I'm directed by a lot of fear. So me being fearful of things makes me like it pushes me to just do it, you know? Um, so with the reporting thing or the, you know, just going and covering the games, like if I say something, I, I've, I've got a lot of people who, who are gonna hold me accountable and I've always likened myself to a, you know, if you tell me something and this is what you wanna do, then I'm gonna hold you accountable to it. Like I got friends like, don't tell me about your diet, don't tell me about it, because I'm gonna hold you to it. I'm gonna rock with you. I'm gonna make sure that you are being who you need to be. So when Drew said that, and then you know you see the fruits of it, it's like, okay, this is how I need to be. Like don't run from the unknown. But in that, you also, I, I've also always had to try to make sure that people don't see me sweat as much as I do. Because I think about, like, this is, I think about things probably too much. Like, I think about things all the time. There's very little time where I'm not thinking about the next thing or worried about something. And when there isn't a worry, I'm like, all right, things are too clean right now. What's going on? So with, with that part of it, understanding that people are looking at you at all times, especially, I mean, in this business, people are looking at you. Um, you put yourself out there. Now you have to present yourself a certain way. You have to hold, handle yourself in a certain way. And sometimes it's, it's stifling because you just want to be a regular person and you want to have those, those. That's why the shows always, they were a chance for me to express um, my vulnerabilities, my insecurities in a way that people who I probably are like me would pick up like, oh, okay, I can, I can understand now. I get it now because nobody can be cool all the time. I don't think I'm the coolest person in the world, but I, you know, following my dad, seeing my dad, you know, go through um, certain pressures that I didn't realize were pressures until I was older. I'm like, yo, like that's a lot, you know. The, the things that my pops and my grandfathers had to go through, you know, I, I think about them too. Where it's like, all right, you know, they had to go through some some trials. And they had to hold their head because you got people that's counting on you, depending on you, whether it be reporting or hosting or whatever. Like, hold your head. People are dependent on you. Like, if you don't, if you're not having the kind of show that you need to have, all you got to do is look at your producers and know that they got families. They got, you know, those bonus checks matter. People got to eat. That's why. You got to keep it cool sometimes, even when there's a lot of chaos going on inside of you. And then you find a way to dump that chaos. You know, I don't do a good enough job of doing that. Uh, I don't I don't unplug as much as I need to. And especially now, it's like it's harder for me because you find out how much therapy and how therapeutic uh, your job is when you enjoy it, when you love it. It's It's a weird thing because we're in this space of sports is our job but it's also 
our hobby. It's also like what we love. So even if you're away from it, it's hard to stay away from it. I, I mean, I was in New Orleans watching the softball championship. You know, because you can't, like, you you cannot help yourself. It's There's an obsessive component to it when you love what you do and, and you make a career out of it. Translate, like, the ideals uh, of life, you know, in a game where you have your, your – the beginning part, you have the time where you're feeling things out during the course of a game, you're watching it, and then you have – your issues or your your resistance in a game, whether you're rooting for it, one side or the other, you're just watching these two entities go at it. And then you have the climax and then you have the victor. So it's kind of like that ideal of life. We watch it play out, whether it be in 60-minute spurts or 48-minute increments. Um, this is this is what it is. It's like the you know the best reality show. It's like this it's life playing out, even though it's not ser- as serious as life. It's just like a microcosm for it. And then we we react and we appreciate it as such because someone's life in that moment, you know, played out in front of us. Like that's their – those are those athletes' lives for three hours or two and a half hours, you know. Never mind the kids and the and the, and the the families and the bills and all the other things that, that, that we all have. But that we're watching, we're checking out. What the, whatever their life is in that moment, the struggles and the, the ups and downs is right there for us. And I don't think we get that uh, in a real, raw, authentic form, even with reality TV, which has become, you know, as far away from reality as possible. What's your best moment in radio? Man, when I came back, you know, a lot went into that. And... uh you know, when I went to Atlanta, I, people that always ask me, what do you want to do? You know, they do the whole generic, like, what do you want to be five years from now? What do you want to do five years from now? And people was asking me that when I was a producer. And I would always say, I want to have my own show in this city and show people. Um, and there was times when I didn't think it was going to happen, times where, you know, I was partnered with people and those people were chosen to be the next ones. And I always kept my head down because I was like, I'm going to show you. It's cool. And then you go, I went to Atlanta and that experience showed me that it's not, a, it's not about getting there. It's about staying there. But it was a great experience for me to finally have something that I could call my own. <clears throat> and then you, I do the serious thing. And that was a ton of fun working from home, talking with people I'd only imagined or dreamed of talking, co-hosting with these people. But the moment was, you know, when Mitch came back, well, came into my living room in my loft and said, I need you to come back for my midday show. I need that out of you. And at that time, I was, you know, I was doing all right. But it was something that I thought about when I was 11, 12 years old, hosting at that station full time, having my name on the show and being responsible for people around me. You know, producers and everybody, hell, bosses, because if I did well, they would do well as well. That was the moment. That was the moment where I was like, okay, everything is everything is happening the way it's supposed to be. So that was the best moment. All right, let's juxtapose. <laughs> it's time for the view. Well, I mean, we talked for 30 minutes. <laughs> it's... 
when when you figured out that changes were going to happen, and I know that we had talked about it as stuff was going on, yeah. not to blow up my own spot, but uh, good. Uh, I guess I'll just edit that out. No, no. no. <laughs> so, so once you figure out changes is getting ready to happen and it it affects you the first time or the second time the second time so this time yes this this last time no no that that's i mean because to me that ends up in a lot of people's minds being a promotion so it's you're going to afternoon drive and but but once you feel really why you know we're two different people and I think what we had that was authentic was you didn't have to force us to be different people. And it worked in that realm. Uh, the places where he was strong were places that I felt I had to work on. I'm not even talking about like the sports part of it. Yeah. I'm talking about the things where he would make me understand and see things from a different point of view that maybe I was like, man, get out of here with that. Like, cut it out. You know, he was he was more of the 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 the, uh, the vibe feeler, the emotional guy, the guy who tapped into spirits and souls in a different way that I didn't, because you know I came from a. I mean, it's, and it's all about your experiences and how you're raised and what you what you go through. And I didn't see things the way he saw them, but it was organic. It was natural. And then, and when it was humming, it was humming. And, you know, there's only a few people that I've ever wanted to host with. And then there's like one or two people who have changed my mind about hosting with them. So like the few people that I've really, really ever wanted to host with in my life was you, uh, Jim Murray from Boston. That's my man, 50 grand. Uh, we were the others down there in Atlanta. <laughs> and and I will say this, Spiegel was the um was the first person to change my mind about wanting to host with somebody. It wasn't that I didn't want to host with him. It was just like, "Oh, it's cool. He's been in the game a long time." Hell, I worked with Speaks when I was a, you know, part-time producer. And I would fill in every once in a while. And I think I produced like at least one of him and Fishman's shows if I'm not mistaken. But that vibe like we had something we had something going um and you know you go through the normal uh issues that you have with a show or and i'm a i'm a i'm a person who's learned how to be less controlling but i always thought that if if i was as hands-on as i possibly could be there would be no room for me to look at anyone else for when there were issues or when things weren't going as as well as they should like i always i've always wanted things to always be on me where it's like all right i'll take these arrows because i feel like i'm built to take them not a lot of people are built to take the stuff that comes along in this business and it cracks them up it makes them it turns them into bad people sometimes it turns them into people who who don't don't you know don't walk it like they talk at half the time but with speeds it was like all right this is cool I'm good with it. You keep it moving. And he showed me things uh, hosting wise. Like when he was on, it was it was a wrap. Like you were going to you were going to get an entertaining segment, an entertaining show. Um 
and then going to the afternoons where <laughs> there was another sit down with 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 Mitch and then I have to look at my guys and they're asking me what's going on and, I, and I'm telling them the truth like you know I want to stay in middays because I understand what it is they offered me a deal that was only for afternoons because that's they knew that I was a little hesitant a little reluctant um the afternoon show was coming off of Terry uh and dealing with his health issues and you know coming to the end of his career um there were some things internally uh you know I I wanted to make sure that the next move that I made was a good one and I planned on having a family I planned on um you know being a homeowner these kinds of things when you when you feel like something is is doing what it's supposed to do and there's there's room for growth that that unassuredness of okay like it sounds good but what what's going to happen here like can you tell me what's going to happen nobody can tell you how you're going to interact with new pieces and uh, even though I had worked with Bernsey and, and you know previous radio life as a producer this is a different situation here of course, of course. And you know me, all I've ever asked for in life, whether it be relationships, work, anything, is you give the same effort as I, as I do. If you give the same effort as I do, I promise you there'll be more days we win than we lose. Um, and I've always bet on myself. So if I could find someone who spirit and effort and everything involved was tied into the goal of, hey, let's let's go out here and just do what we do every single day, but put in the work on the side as well so that if something does come up, it doesn't catch us off guard. Like those are the things that I would I would only ask that out of a partner because that's what I give. Like I there was there was some reluctance there. And you know, Mitch, I'll never forget, and there's kids out there always save your text messages and your emails. <laughs> I'll never forget because I, I go back and it's not just share unless things get crazy. But it's I go back and I, I read conversations, you know, when things things go well and when things go poorly, just to see where I was in that space. And Mitch was like, you know, I need an answer out of you. You know, what are we going to do here? And I told him, like, there's some things that, that I would have to be comfortable with moving forward. And he addressed them. And I was like, all right, we're off and running. We're off and running. So... But what what Speaks and I did, I thought was 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 terrific, and it was only, you know, like that was the only time that I felt the way you and I, when we when we hosted, like when Speaks was on his money, it was it was it was good stuff, and the middays, I mean, psh, we did work like. What, what the midday show was doing before I came back and to, to help get something on track and to make the other station move lineups around and that kind of stuff. Like it was, and this is before the Cubs thing happened for us as well. It was, it, we did some, we did some good work. Now, what you were referring to. Wait, cause it opens up a whole nother line of questioning for me. Were you worried about replacing Terry? Um, no, because I assumed that's so crazy. I don't want to get too radio nerdy with you, but I assumed the people who were there for, for Terry 
had kind of understood over the last couple of years with dealing with all his health issues that there was there was a difference in the sound. So that Terry that the people had heard in the last year or so wasn't the Terry that they had come to know and love because Terry was battling, you know, every, every single day. But the Terry that, that was at the, the, the peak of his powers, that was a different guy, you know? That was a guy who, who had not yet undergone the battle that he was going through. So I thought that there would be uh, enough of a distinction and also understanding because they had heard me before. If it was some dude from out of town, if I was a guy from out of town just coming over to take over Terry, it would have been, been, been curtains for me. Right. No matter how good I was, no matter how I connected, it would have been tougher for me. But this, these are people who had heard me like I was, I, you know, I'm, I was a part of Terry's story, at, you know, for seven years and we did good work. And, you know, what Terry told me when I went to Atlanta was, hey, man, you know, you've always done a good enough job of being yourself. Don't stop now. I applied that to here. I wasn't I wasn't going to do the things that Terry did. I'm not Terry. And I feel like that again, like. We don't know that we're insulting our listeners' intelligence when we just try to be the carbon copy of something or say things that we don't really mean just to get that temporary, you know, pop. That's that's never been what that station was about. So I wasn't going to be that way with me. I was the reluctance came from understanding that it's hard to it's hard to change partners and not change yourself. You know, um, there was a different energy and a different vibe that you had to, that you had to max and, and, and match. And that's where I was. Those were the worries that I had, you know. Um, and those are the conversations that I'm not speaking out of school. Those are conversations that I had with everybody, Dan, uh, Tanny, you know. Um, and it's so crazy because, like, people ask you, about radio and you just think it's just you getting behind a microphone but it's also it's like it's a five hours four hours of you spending time with a person and having to to maybe duck and dodge some things that, that you think might be flaws or work on yourself like yo i can't be this person you know that you would be like me solo is a different person than me with somebody and that's why i've always Doug, the relationship that you and I have is because I can be myself with you, whereas I don't have to, I don't want to say compensate, but like, I don't have to, I don't have to be as aware of things or worry about things. You know, we just do radio. We just talk really. And it's just in front of some microphones. I thought it was funny. Like when I would come in and sit in, you would tell me to drive. Um, And I always thought that was interesting even with um even with with dan uh the first day the first day he uh like it was and i want to remember this correctly but it was like one of those things where he's like who's driving you know and sometimes you have to sometimes you have to make people feel a certain way so they're comfortable so i was like hey man you know you've been doing it do it and then he and he he goes oh see this is like this is like a uh, an offense with two point guards you can do and I'm like hey man let's just do it like I knew that's what it was I knew he wasn't asking me did I want to drive like it was just him 
like saying it without saying. It. I'm like, I'm cool, man. Like I, I, I know where I know where I can get it done from. You know. Plus, sometimes you need to work on other things. For sure, it's it's one of the the joys of doing like a partner show, and I think that. I don't know, maybe I'm a little bit like a, a bull in a china shop, but I feel like if whenever I go on someone else's show, they're very like, okay, so do you wanna, do you, and I'm like, I'm cool with just kicking back because it's, it's gonna be a different show sure. if, I'm, if I'm driving it. Wednesday through Friday in Charlotte. Like those, that, that Tuesday, I was, yeah, no, that Tuesday, that Tuesday, I was like, you know, you sitting there and you're like, you, you got the restless leg and you're like, oh, what's going on? Yeah, he was doing a great job, but it's that, that, um, that awareness, you know, I'll never forget Jonathan, Jonathan, uh, I came back home. Was it, was it when I was in Atlanta? I forget the instance. It might've been when I was still here. No, it was when I was hosting with Spiegel. <laughs> and uh, Jonathan says something. It was at one of your uh, get-togethers. Jonathan was like, he's like, uh, he's like, you know you're a solo host. I don't even know why you're playing around. And I was like, wait a minute. I was like, what the? Like, that was one of the first things he said to me coming through the door. I was like, what are you talking about? I'm like, oh, is it coming off like that? I got like really, really self-conscious. I'm like, oh, you don't want that, you know? Because I am um, like... <laughs> I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm an alpha male who appreciates other people's feelings, if that makes any sense. Like, I'll, I'll rock with you if you need to be guided, but I also understand that you, you got to get the best out of people. So sometimes you have to take a step back. It's probably something that we don't discuss enough, but it, it is an industry filled with fragile ego. The most insecure people I've ever been around, and I've been around a lot of people in some some different avenues. Sometimes you're around people who, you know, and this is like, like corporate America, radio, like streets. people in the streets. Yeah, exactly. And you you could tell you know who's making the noise because they want you to stay away. You could tell the people who are quiet because they want you to come in and learn about them. And this, this, I mean, hell, we talk in the microphones hoping people will care about what we say. Absolutely. Like, so that, that, there's a part of that. <laughs> that, that insecurity sure. that, that goes along with the job. I mean, everyone who, who does this, I think, has that. And it's, it's interesting to me how things have changed because radio was kind of a refuge for the person that didn't want to be seen, only wanted to be heard. There was a mystery to it. That mystery is gone. Everyone has to be everything now. Like you, you can't just say, I'm just a radio guy. Well, guess what? You're gonna end up on television promoting your radio show. You're gonna end up writing a blog. Like all of those things are, are really important to, to understand. And that's why the people who wanna be behind the scenes now, like that's like the socially awkward people, they're like, yo, I need to be behind the scenes. Like I had a conversation with a producer in uh, Charlotte and he's like, I've never wanted to be on air. I'm like, really? Like, you know, you prepare like, you know, a guy who wants to be on air. He goes, nah, man. And then, and then I said, stop pushing it, Jay. Like he's, he's a guy who's not comfortable with the stuff that's going on now where he doesn't want to let you know what he's doing on Twitter. He doesn't want to take too many pictures. You know, he might be 
you know, self-conscious about whether it be looks or the lack of outside life that he may be experiencing. So now if you're a behind the scenes person, you like, that's where you want to be. Whereas before it's like, right, I'd be behind the scenes, but this is in the end, this is what I, I want to do. So, I mean, this, and that's the, I think that's the part where the awareness comes in and you're trying to figure out what life is. And those are the, like those are some of the best and worst moments put together. Some of the best moment for me. Some of the, the some of the worst moments is is figuring out like where you belong. And sometimes people tell you where you belong. Sometimes you realize it, even if you're at the top. Sometimes you know those those things get revealed to you in moments where you would never think. Like yeah, I, the the moments that I've had thinking about this business. Uh, like I've never thought I was good enough for this business and the people who have encouraged me, I've always kept around not to continue to be encouraged, but I, I wanted to make sure that they were right. You know what I mean? Like I wanted to make sure that they understood that I appreciated the hell out of them caring about me when people didn't have to. So the, the moments that you do have and you're like, ah, you know, I'm not, and like, am I, am I not good enough for this? Those moments, those moments used to come early and often when I was first coming up. And then when you get to a, a point where you're like, all right, I can do this every day. All right. People are rocking with me. All right. You know, now people respect you outside of the station, you know, whether it be organizations or people that, you know, are in the business. All right, cool. But there's always that that feeling where it's like, all right, am I good enough for this? Or am I good at this or good enough at this where I'm not going to fake it? Cause the moment that happens, like some people could do it, but the moment it happens for me, that's when I know I'm done. Cause that's when you know, you, you, you can't keep it up. Why do you think we tend to dwell on the vocal minority <laughs> of people that will tell you that you're not great and we almost like tend to ignore the folks that tell you they're good. And, and I bring this up because after you left the station, there's been an outpouring of affection that, that I'm not sure that you even thought that you would get from people. And it's manifested itself in a couple of ways. There are the people that are gonna follow you wherever, that were listening to you when you were on with Kroger and Charlotte. They're the people that quite honestly are boycotting the radio station now because you're gone. Um, I always think it's interesting when they, they tag you in those, Bro, that's, 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 that's a bad spot to, to put you in, but it's, but, but, but it's also, there's something like, I appreciate that you liked what I did so much that you're, you're willing to die on this hill. I never, I never would have thought that it would be this much. You know, you got people who've listened to you from, from day one. And those are the people that you appreciate and you see them so much that you don't take them for granted, but it's like, I know you in my corner. So I appreciate you. But the outpouring has been, it's been amazing, man. Cause it's been a tough time. It's been a tough time. Like I've, I've said, everything is going to be okay on Twitter for people because I don't want people to worry about me and everything is going to be okay. But it's been, you know, some, some real introspection about how much, how much the business can take from you and how much you put into being 
that person for other people. Like so many people have hit me up and be like, man, like for four hours every day, like I, you know, you and my guy, I, I realize that the relationships aren't just, you know, talking sports. And that's all I ever intended it for it to be. Because anybody could talk about sports. Anybody could talk about politics and all the other stuff. This is the part that, that upset me the most, Lawrence. Is because, and my lady had to tell me, stop expecting people to react in situations the way you would all the time. The part that upset me the most <clears throat> is the fact that when everything happened, like it was sad. It was sad because... I don't feel I don't feel I was dealt with in a manner that I would deal with someone who has been a part of the station for as long as I have been. But on top of it, the columns that were written really, really hurt me. Like the people who, because you could talk about me. But the people who put a lot of work into those shows, like my producers, they didn't deserve that. They didn't deserve that. Because in the end, I've taken, I've taken every arrow. That's fine. If you want to talk about me, that's cool. But don't lie. And don't call in favors. Part one ends very emotionally. Jason had a lot of things that he wanted to say. And so we just kept going with the conversation. There's so much content left in our conversation that we thought it would make sense to break it down into two parts. Hopefully you enjoyed part one. If you did and you like the podcast overall, please subscribe. We're on iTunes give us a rating. We've been very lucky that so far people have enjoyed the the conversation that we've had having Jason Benetti. And I promise there'll be other great guests on the show. And we thank you for your patronage. So please give it five stars, but know that episode two, part two is coming up and all the questions that you wanted answered about Jason's departure from the score will be answered. Part two will be next week.